How you doing, folks? Welcome back to yet another episode of In Defense of Liberation, the show that is working towards and educating about a true people's liberation movement and hopefully one day a true proletarian revolution. Um, if Until that day comes, uh, I am your host, Josh, and I just want to say thank you so much for stopping by. Um, if this is your first time checking out the show, please let me know what you think. Um, let me know what you think about the show itself, what you think about what I had to say. Um, you can reach out to me on social media. I have Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook, which you can find by searching In Defense of Liberation. Uh, I am most frequently on Instagram, so if you wanted to reach out to me for whatever reason, that would probably be the place to do it, unless you have a more long-form message to send, uh, in which case I have an email set up. It is indefenseofliberation at gmail.com with no caps or spaces. So... Yeah, and then if this is you, you know, coming back, this isn't your first time, uh, thank you very much for uh, coming back. I, I'm glad that the show or the episodes that you've listened to have proven educational and entertaining enough to come back. Um, I hope I can do the same in this episode. But today I want to talk about class consciousness. Um, but before I go into that, I just want to say that I believe in my last episode when discussing the PCB, um, the, uh, Partido Comunista Brasileiro, um, Brasileiro, uh, I believe that I referenced them, uh, offhandedly afterwards as the Communist Party of Brazil. Um, that is in fact a different party. Um, this is the Brazilian Communist Party, um, the PCB, which is, uh, as I said, an entirely different, uh, organization. So I just wanted to point that out because, uh, my homies are in the PCB, um, or I should say my homie, but my homie's in the, uh, PCB and I don't really want to, (laughs) uh, fuck that up because that shit's important. Um, but yeah, so that's the Brazilian Communist Party. Um, and speaking of the Brazilian Communist Party, and this is why I wanted to bring it up, is because there's this incredible, incredible, uh, revolutionary, uh, YouTuber named Jones Manuel, which if you can read auto-generated subtitles, or if for some reason you can also read Portuguese... Uh, or understand Portuguese, um, you should check out his YouTube channel because I genuinely think some of his videos on things like ideology, uh, and again, like we're going to talk about today, class consciousness, I think a lot of his analysis is genuinely fucking incredible. Um, I think he has probably one of the most materialist lenses and probably one of the most, uh, foundational, well, I don't want to say foundation, probably one of the most formed, uh, dialectical ways of thinking and speaking that I've heard in just about any 
content creator. Um, so go check out his shit. Um, again, that's Jones Manuel. Um, J-O-N-E-S-M-A-N-O-E-L. Um, check him out on YouTube. But the reason why I want to talk about class consciousness is because I think one of the most common, and I would like to say before I go into this, that thanks to Jones Manuel, I have the ability to have this conversation because he did an episode about uh, the poor of the right, quote unquote, uh, saying that poor people are, you know, right wingers or side with the right or are conservatives within Brazil, um, kind of as a, a foundational ideology without it even necessarily being quite aware of it. And so I would like to say that all of my information and for the most part and my arguments, uh, really got their inspiration from that video by uh, Jones Manuel. So again, shouts out to him um, and the PCB doing fantastic work down in Brazil. Um, Please keep an eye on that. Keep an eye on the uh, uh, landless workers um, or the landless people's movement down there. Um, Keep an eye on uh, what's coming up on October 2nd. and, you know, just pay attention to Brazil. Um, we in America, what we, you know, I should say the United States, right? We here in the United States who call ourselves leftists. And I, I would even argue that this is more so a liberal tendency than it is a quote-unquote Western leftist tendency. And I want to be specific in that because I don't want to claim this as a problem of the Western left because, as Jones Manuel points out in his video, this is directly a problem in Brazil right now of the working-class people. So there is this liberal tendency to forget that class consciousness is subverted naturally due to capitalist production and development. Now, how does that make sense? How how does capitalism, the thing that, the economy that produces goods for profit, how does that have anything to do with ideology? Well, I think we need to have a little discussion about what ideology really is. Now, you're not going to get the best definition out of me. Um... If you've been listening to this show for a while, you can understand that usually quotes are not my uh, forte. Usually paraphrasing and kind of rambling are, but uh, I will do my best to explain that ideology, more than anything, is a consciousness which is formed by one's uh, place in society. So what the fuck does that mean? Well... Real quick, just to be the cool Marxist that I am, let's throw a quote out there. Okay. And I just said, no quotes, but here I am. See, I'm improving, guys. Social being determines social consciousness. Now, technically, I should admit that that's only half of the quote, 
Do I remember the first half? Not off the top of my head. Small baby steps, folks. <laughs> but this is a quote by Marx. And what Marx is determining in this quote is the fact that given our society's structure, which is based on class antagonisms, class antagonisms being the difference between, for example, for easy uh, understanding, the differences between the haves and the have-nots and the uh, subsequent consequences and symptoms of such inequalities. And these antagonisms are what are at the core of our class society. We've discussed a class society before. Class society is a society wherein there is a relationship between the ruling class, the oppressing, I-N-G, oppressing class, and the ruled or oppressed class. It is the difference between these classes and it is the foundation of a society on this very class antagonism which cultivates for us what we call class society. That society has developed from early slave societies to late capitalism today. At every single point, there was what we might call a dominant paradigm or a dominant ideology. But where did this ideology come from? Well, we have to understand in a class society where there is a group in power and there is a group which is made powerless by the oppressing class, you will have two very distinctly contradictory interests. First and foremost, the people in power who are conscious of their power in society are intent and wholeheartedly dedicated to the idea and the very material concretization of their power. They are determined as a ruling class to remain in power. This is true of the slave owners. This is true of the feudal lords, the kings, the queens, the ministers, the uh, the clerics, 
and the pastors, right? It is true of the colonizers. It is true of the European powers from the late 1300s all throughout to today. This is true of the capitalists and the capitalist governments. This is true of the United Nations, of NATO. This is true of the military and imperialist powers that dominate over our world. This is a relationship which is fundamental to the structure of class society since the end of what we might call the early communalist societies. From this point on, from the earliest separation of agricultural land into private property for private wealth accumulation, this has been true. That the ruling class has its interests staked in its continued ruling power. Now, if you have ever worked a job where your boss, your manager, your supervisor, uh, any of these folks who we might have formerly have classified, for example, here in the United States, as overseers, right? Our managers, our supervisors, they are, just as the capitalists are, intent on maintaining that relationship. Now, you can have a cool manager that smokes weed and doesn't really give a shit about that, but their position, what they exist as, what a manager really exists to do is maintain complacency of the workers so that the owners can continue exploiting the workers. The overseers of the former chattel slave and chain gangs uh, uh, practices here in the United States, the overseer was the guy who whipped the shit out of the prisoners or out of the enslaved folks and then turn to the slave owner or to the the warden or to the white guy that is able to, up until the mid-1900s, buy and essentially rent prisoners out to work for them. The overseer is the guy who whips their ass And then turns around and says, I just had to whip their ass. Aren't you pissed about that? You should go whip their ass. But, you know, I'm here supporting you 
So I whipped their ass just a little bit, just, just a little taste beforehand so that they knew you were coming, right? That's, that's the overseer position. And although, although that's an extreme form, right, and that cannot just be outright compared to in such a uh, uh, mechanical way, but the relationship here is much clearer understood. When you have a manager who really fucking loves the fact that they're the manager, who just shits on every single worker because they're, quote, lazy, or they have an attitude, or they just don't want to be here. Well, shit, man. Think about a year, two, three, four years ago when you weren't fucking manager and you hated your manager and you didn't want to fucking come into work and you had an attitude. But managers like to forget that. We, we, have, this, we have this cute little petty bourgeois mentality that starts to seek in with just the little, little, littlest bit of power in our system. Our system where we're told if you're powerful, if you're wealthy, if you're, you know, dominant, because you're supposed to be. It's because you're a boss. It's because you you fucking grind, dog. Fuck yeah. Work yourself to death. Hell yeah. If you have a manager like that, right, you start not, not only to really fucking hate your manager as a person, but to also like really fucking hate your job because you're like, yo, listen, I'm here, right? If I wasn't here, you wouldn't have a person on shift. But I'm fucking here. I'm watching eight hours of my day disappear so that your dumbass can look good to our owner. But you also start to understand that, well, wait a minute. And, you know, this isn't always the case, but this can be the case. You start to wonder, well, wait a minute. This is just some some person, right? Why are they being such a fucking bitch? Why are they being such a prick? Why are they being like an absolute asshole to me who's just some fucking dude who works here? Like, I don't give a shit about this job. Why are you being a fucking asshole? And I think right here, right here, we want to isolate that feeling and talk about it. Because that feeling is the beginning of something that could develop into class consciousness. Now, I can't say, and we shouldn't say, that workers simply hating being workers is class consciousness. Because that's honestly irrational. That's why Marx and Engels, Lenin, Stalin, Mao, and plenty of others have said that the peasantry, what they referred to as the peasantry, what we might have heard called the lumpen proletariat, The general masses of people who are at the very, very bottom of society, they get the shit end of the stick. They work the jobs that nobody else wants to work. They get the lowest amount of pay that anybody else gets paid. And they work 10 times harder than anyone else works, right? Those folks, even in cases like, for example, in Russia during czarism, When those peasants and serfs had no political rights, they had no economic stability, they had no social status, they had no real religious freedoms because 
if where they were trying to practice their religion, their religion was not accepted as a, uh, a, a incredibly poor peasant, if someone were to, like happens today, to Muslims and to Jewish folks and to, um, you know, uh, other folks who are not uh, Christians, right? If there was to be a group of people who went out and just fucking murdered people like they did in pogroms all throughout Russia, Germany, and most of Eastern Europe for all the way up until, honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if it's still taking place in some of those regions today. A pogrom being when a bunch of the community basically just goes out and murders people that are undesirable in society. Um, But I'm getting off track here. So even these people who are so explicitly, so explicitly observing the realities of capitalism, it is not necessarily true that they then have the conscious ability to correct the problems that capitalism has created. And this is where I want to really hammer in on our conversation. So, as I said, simply being an oppressed person or simply being a worker does not always make people class conscious. Um, Jones Manuel hits on this very, very, very well. Because even he's discussing in his video how the police violence that is incredibly, incredibly rampant in the favelas and in the uh, um, poor places, in the uh, uh, black and brown communities especially. um, And even some of these communities, when you try to have conversation with them about why this is, They say, well, the police violence is equal everywhere. But we know this isn't true. So where do they get this idea from? Well, this is where the question of ideology comes in. Because if we understand here, right, that there's no reason, there's no logical uh, kind of process that we could comprehend, right, that a bunch of poor and oppressed people who are tormented, exploited, and abused for their entire existence, we cannot logically chart how they continue in that position without being aware of what is really happening. And even to the other, right, taking that a bit further, we can't logically understand how, for example, so many poor working class people in the United States have fallen prey and have fallen in love with folks like Donald Trump. The same goes here in Brazil for poor working class people who have become Bolsonarists, who have become fighting for one of the most explicit fascist dictators. And I use that lightly, um, mainly just because at this point in time, it would only take the military being on his side for Bolsonaro to play the part of a military dictator. But we can't really joke with these, these assessments here. We can't, 
really, again, mechanically, meaning rigidly, apply this here, because especially in Brazil, they had a military dictatorship. We can't joke about this shit. They had a military dictatorship in 1964. For years, communists, socialists, workers, peasants, gay folks, trans folks, black folks, brown folks, they were murdered. They were worked to death. They were thrown in prison. They were given drugs. They were beaten by the police and the military and shot dead in their homes. Just like people in the favelas today are shot dead in their homes by police. And yet some of those people voted for Bolsonaro. Some of those people went out on September the 7th and tried to form a counter protest against the PCB and the landless workers movement. There are oppressed and poor people who become convinced that the right, that the conservatives have the answer. So let's talk about why. How does this happen? Real quick, actually, before we get into that, I do want to just mention here, because I think it's important that I make this point before I let it go. Um, Folks like Trump and Bolsonaro are not the main players that we want to be focusing on. And ultimately, when we individualize our analysis at this point, and we begin to critique and come after individuals such as Donald Trump or Bolsonaro, we are really splitting our analysis, whether we mean to or not. In the same way that we split our analysis when we try to argue that either the Democrats or the Republicans at a certain point pose a better opportunity for the workers to acquire gains because at the end of the day, what we really have in folks like Donald Trump and Bolsonaro, and then on the other side of the coin, folks like Bernie Sanders or Lula, right? The difference between the two is temporary. It is not permanent. For example, Bernie Sanders has not broke with the Democratic Party. The Democratic Party who established Joe Biden, one of the most racist senators and public officials that has ever been in the last 50 years a public official in the United States who under his administration 70% of immigration offenses meaning um, police and ICE going after human beings who are considered immigrants because of their necessity to come to a country which has oppressed their own and exploited the resources, education, labor force, and uh, um, uh, uh, production capabilities, right? We call them an immigrant, and then we send the police like dogs on them to sick them, right? Under Biden, that has gone up 70%. The kids are still in cages. That doesn't matter, right? We have the largest military budget ever under the United States. That doesn't matter. Because Bernie Sanders is a socialist, right? AOC is a socialist, right? We should not be having these conversations. The conversation is very simple. The ruling class serves one interest, staying in power. When the people are more aware of that than they were before, the ruling class has to do something to convince the people that it's not that bad. That in fact, it's important that we have competent, 
intelligent politicians who can lead and guide this country of ignorant, idiotic plebeians, right? And so in those moments when the workers are like, nah, fuck you. I don't care about any of that shit because I don't have health care, right? They go, oh, you want health care? Here's Bernie Sanders. But then after Bernie Sanders is out of office and Donald Trump comes back or someone worse than Donald Trump, like uh, Josh Howley, right? Who's a congressperson who's the most competent version of fascism that exists in the U.S. government system right now. We'll have someone like him come into power afterwards and say, okay, we'll give you health care, right? But anyone who's houseless will go to prison. Uh, Anyone who is considered an illegal immigrant will go to prison. Anyone who doesn't have a job will go to prison, right? We'll have vagrancy come back. And then we'll have the privatized version of socialized health care, which exists in places like Canada, where waiting lines, and now I know this is a very right-wing, you know, talking point, but there's still the fact that at the end of the day, that healthcare system can only work as well as its budget allows it to. The same is true under a socialist system. The difference is, under a socialist system, healthcare doesn't exist for fucking profit. Under a privatized system, it does. Whether it's socialized because of certain policies and legislation that has been passed, it doesn't matter. It's still for profit. So the differences between Bolsonaro and Lula, the differences between Donald Trump and Bernie Sanders are insignificant because the role that they play is maintaining the complacency of the working class people. Period. End of story. And under a capitalist system, no less, we have to understand here that not only do they simply serve the role as maintaining power in the hands of the ruling class, we have to ask ourselves, how does that ruling class stay in power? Well, under a capitalist system, they become the wealthy. They become those who are only the ones who are earning profits. When we go to work every single day, we make a wage, right? But at the end of the day, that wage versus how much money we as workers might have made for the owner is completely a different story, right? When you look at, for example, I've given this example uh, on the show before. At my job, we have a computer that runs all day that tells us kind of the statistics of our sales, tells us how much money we've made, tells us where it's been made, tells us how much money uh, we've made versus how much money we spent on those products. Because like at my store, when I scan an item, it will both pop up the um, the price that my store paid for it at uh, you know the warehouse, and then it'll pr- say the uh, pre-tax price, and then it'll say the after-tax price. So we have a computer system which runs all those numbers. So it'll eliminate the tax. It'll eliminate the the money that we spent 
on the item ourselves and just say in, in plain bold letters what our profit for the entire day was. Um, in a given day at my job, we oftentimes will make anywhere between three to seven thousand dollars in a day. Um, again, depending on the day. It, not depending on the day, every single day, I make right around $150 of that. Now, you should know that, for example, right now, I just clocked into work. Until 1.30, it is 9.30, until 1.30, I will be here alone, which means the only, the only person who is earning any of this money for my boss is me, which means, you know, if it were a different position and I, in fact, worked in a t-shirt factory and produced t-shirts for my boss, I would be explicitly creating the wealth for my boss. But for example, at my job, it's not so simply understood by my coworkers as an exploitative position because, well, in this case, when we come in, all the products are already in here, right? We just work at the storefront. We don't make the goods. And this is really what's going to lead us into the real conversation on class consciousness. So we've covered a lot of ground. We've covered a lot of background, right? We've discussed the fact that for example, many of us in the West uh, like to really shit on the average person and call them kind of stupid and ignorant. Like, for example, a, a Trump follower, right? I've shit on them before. I will continue shitting on them in private, probably more likely than anywhere. But um, in that sense, I'm still, you know, occasionally falling victim to a liberal tendency to believe that working people are just ignorant. They're just stupid. Poor people are just stupid, right? Whether that's really where or how I say it, or if that's simply where that mindset finds its origin in, it doesn't quite matter because at this point in time, my ideology, my understanding of the world around me, and in this case, my understanding of poor and working people, is that they are ignorant. It's that they're stupid. And they're stupid because they're poor, and they're poor because they're stupid, right? Isn't it so convenient how these things just make sense? How they're just perfectly, I mean, listen, you're poor because you didn't go to work and you don't go to work because you can't get a job because you're poor, right? And so therefore, you're just lazy. You're just lazy. It doesn't matter that the fact that you don't have food every single night should be a problem whether or not you have money. It should not be a question of whether or not you have a job or if you are clean from drugs if you deserve health care. That should not be the question. But these are the questions that we have because in the same way that when we hear and see the way that the majority of us treat poor folks, 
and hurting and struggling folks, we see clearly what we are meant and taught to believe, which is that poor people deserve the suffering that they have. How do we fight this? Well, first and foremost, we have to understand that in this way, our ideology was shaped for us. You and I did not wake up one day and say, I think poor people are just dumb. No child is born and says, oh, black people are more prone to crime than anyone just naturally. Right? A child does not come to their own conclusions that poverty is a necessary evil. And folks who are impoverished deserve it because, well, they didn't work as hard as those who have more money, who aren't poor. This is the ideology that we are taught. So who teaches us? Well, a lot of different people. Our media, and our media, especially here in the hyper-consumer era, is 24-7. It is multifaceted. You can go on YouTube. You can listen to a podcast. You can read a book. You can read a magazine. You can watch TikTok. You can scroll through Instagram. You can turn on CNN or Fox or OAN or any of the ridiculous channels. Um, You can go talk to your teachers. You can listen to the lectures that you are given in high school. And you can find right then and there just about 30 to 40 different teachers who are going to teach you this shit, who are going to tell you that, well, you know, stupid people just deserve to suffer because they're stupid. You know, if you fail out of high school and you can't get a GED, what the fuck is wrong with you, right? You stupid piece of shit. How dare you not sit still in my classroom all day, every single day, and just listen to every goddamn thing I say and not disagree with a single thing because, well, you are lesser, you are lower, and I am upper. And therefore, because I am upper and you are lower... I am upper because I'm a better person than you. And you are lower because you are a worse person than me. Gee, doesn't that sound like a crazy person trying to solidify in their mind that they're not a piece of shit? Sounds a lot like it, huh? Our ideology is not formed simply by the neurons and chemical reactions in our brain. These ideas, this belief system, this perspective on the world does not develop out of thin air. It is cultivated. It is cured. It is perpetuated. It is built. It is grown, right? And at every single step, it reforms. It remolds, it finds ways to seep into the cracks where you didn't think it could find its way, but it will. And it's not because folks like Trump or Bolsonaro are evil. 
It's not because folks like Bernie Sanders and Lula, you know, have no power, have no ability to fight back this ideology. And so therefore they just have to vote present, right? Um, the issue is not that there is nothing to be done. The issue is not that these things, whether true or not, they're a part of society now, and we just have to accept that and figure out how to make it through. No. These ideas, these structures, are put into place not only in our minds, and we must remember this. Racism is not just an idea, right? The oppression of poor folks is not a trope. It's not an ignorant mindset. It's a material reality, right? People are suffering right now because of these ideas, because these ideas have materialized into a border wall, because these ideas have materialized into a sniper rifle or into a cruise missile, because these ideas have materialized into a nation which calls itself the United States, which has built itself on the exploitation and oppression of not only working people in general, but of the land, of the native population, and of the globe and its resources, its labor force, and everything else imaginable that this nation can steal and plunder and pillage in order to make itself the most powerful empire on the face of the earth right? These ideas have materialized. How? Not because these are some correct ideas, right? We talked about this on my last episode. Correct ideas do not, they themselves, make a reality. We can't just have a right idea, and because it's right, it's just going to come to fruition. Those of us who are communists ought to have learned this by now. Ideas materialize because folks who have a stake or an interest in those ideas materializing organize themselves into bodies of power, into forces which are capable of taking their ideas and turning them into a material reality through organized and militant action. When we look at the ignorance of the average American United States citizen, when we look at the stupidity that is rampant surrounding, for example, the coronavirus and the vaccine, these people are not stupid by design, at least not their own design. These people are not born incapable of learning. These people are born into a system which directly benefits by their ignorance and is able to exploit them longer and oppress them more and steal more of their surplus labor and value if they are convinced that capitalism is the most natural economic system that has ever been, if they believe that human nature is just greed and therefore there's nothing we can do about the 
ruling class powers because, well, if you just put someone else in their place, they're going to do the same thing because power is corrupting. And therefore, there's nothing that we can do. The wealthy corporations benefit a lot from this mentality. So who do you think, right? Who do you think might be teaching these people these things? Who do you think? And why do you think that there is so much rampant ignorance? Why do you think, especially here in the United States, there is so much anti-intelligentsia mentality, even on the left? You know, God, God forbid you ask that anybody go out and read a book because, you know, this is something that we in the United States don't have uh, a culture of doing, of reading anymore. And so therefore, you are considered elitist. You are considered basically an asshole, a piece of shit for saying that somebody ought to read because, well, in, in many cases, you are uh, oftentimes going to see the argument that, well, not everybody can read. Well, what, what did Fidel and Che do about that? Did they say, did the Cuban revolution say, oh, well, people in the countryside can't read. So I think what we're going to do is we're just going to just going to let Bautista do his thing because, well, we don't want to ask anybody to read. And if we don't have anybody reading these books, understanding this context, learning about the political, social, and economic situation of Cuba. If we don't have these people learning about it, well, then they'll have no reason to really rise up uh, against the Bautista dictatorship and U.S. imperialism. They'll have no reason to do that because, well, that dictatorship and that imperialism is telling them that, hey, this is the best that it gets. It might be this bad, but it could be worse, right? The issue is that ideology is a mystified topic. Even for myself, right? There's so much to learn in the question of ideology. But I would say here, as the elitist that I am, go check out Antonio Gramsci. Go on Socialism for All and look up Gramsci because... Most of his more famous works on fascism, specifically, are on there. And if you listen clearly, like really pay attention to the way that Gramsci works and writes, he doesn't need to use these special words. He doesn't need to come out explicitly and say, here is ideology in action and this is how ideology is formed. No. He comes out and says, this is fascism. This is how fascism forms. But you are to understand that this ideology is taking form right now. Fascism is developing itself and has been developing itself in the United States since we took the fascists out of Germany and brought them and give them jobs at NASA. Since CIA, since the CIA did Operation Paperclip, and I would argue to some extent, Even prior to that, in the 20s and 30s, I'd say the United States gave quite a bit of credence to fascism. Whether they were explicitly fascist themselves or not, that's a matter of semantics, of definition. And I'm sure someone somewhere will want to argue with me because I'm being reductionist. But here's the problem. 
fascism implicitly and fascism explicitly serve the same role, which is an attempt to subvert the class struggle and in its most explicit forms, it is an attempt to end the class struggle, but not by the working class rising up against the ruling class, overthrowing them and instating the dictatorship of the proletariat, but in fact the opposite way. It is an attempt to finally to put a final solution to the class struggle by way of the oppressors erasing any power, any ability, any social rights, any political rights, any economic stability out from under the working class and overthrowing their ability to surface as a political power, as a force capable of overthrowing capitalism. That is fascism. That's the role it plays to subvert the class struggle. It's an ideological tool which has materialized in Nazi Germany, in Italy, in Poland, in Finland, in Czechoslovakia, in all these different places, right? Fascism took hold. Fascism has taken hold in the United States for a long time. And this ideology is built, it is cultivated, it is grown by the ruling class because this ideology supports their existence. It supports that the ruling class ought to remain in power, that the people are ignorant, right? We cannot continue blaming the ignorance of the people for the oppression of the people. Because the people's ignorance is not what is oppressing them. The people's ignorance is not what is exploiting them. The people's ignorance is not what is working them to death, what is stealing their social services, which is sending them off to war. The people's ignorance is not building schools which teach them that slavery was not a moral issue, that slavery was not a bad thing, that slavery was not a cause of capitalism, but slavery was an uh-oh by some good-meaning people who didn't realize that black folks were, you know, really that upset about their situation because, well, they had homes and they had jobs and sometimes they had food. So what did the slaves have to be upset about? No. It is the ruling class which is oppressing them. It is the ruling class which is exploiting them. It is the ruling class which is sending them into Afghanistan, into Iran, into Somalia, into North Africa, into West Asia. It is the ruling class which is stealing their labor force and working them to death. It is the ruling class which has taken their health care and their social services. It is the working class who employs the police to shoot dead black, brown, and indigenous people in our streets on a day-to-day basis. And it is the ruling class that convinces us that it is the fault of these black, brown, and indigenous people who are so ignorant, who are crime-ridden, who are violent and prone to acts of destruction. It is the ruling class which convinces us that it is us, the working people, who have brought their own oppression onto themselves, but we must rise up and say no more. It is the ruling class which is exploiting us. It is the ruling class which is oppressing us is the ruling class which has guns pointed at our heads and says, I dare you to rise up. 
I dare you. Is the ruling class which shot dead Martin Luther King. Is the ruling class which shot dead Malcolm X. It is the ruling class which has shot dead every revolutionary in the global south which has risen up and said no more. And so it is us in the belly of the beast, right beneath the ruling class who is oppressing the world over. It is us who need to rise up and say no more. We can no longer allow for these conversations to be had that says it is the ignorance of the people that is oppressing them. No, it is those, it is their oppressors which is making them ignorant and is allowing that ignorance is using that ignorance which they have created, which they have cultivated, which they benefit from to exploit and oppress us for that much longer. It is the ruling class which is killing us, not ourselves. And it is the ruling class's fault if we become violent. And it is the working class's obligation as human beings to rise up against the ruling class. If you are still listening to this, I appreciate you very much. Thank you so, so much. I hope this means something to you. And I hope this will get you to break out of this chain that tells us that the people are ignorant of their own making, of their own choosing. Go organize, folks. Let's build this fucking revolution. And let's get rid of these fucking pieces of shit, this ruling class which continues killing people to this day. Because if we don't, the billions of people in the global south who have no idea where their meals are going to come from will continue to have bombs and bullets raining down on them because we chose to not do anything. Thank you for listening. Have a great day. Stay safe. Bye. And the last point I want to make before I go is this. If we, right, if we want to say all this shit, if we want to talk about the fact that you know, we got to be revolutionary and we got to be organizing the people and the people aren't ignorant. Da, 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 da. Guess what? I don't give a fuck what you think. I don't give a fuck what I think. I don't give a fuck if I got a good idea. I don't give a fuck if I can read a book and regurgitate that information onto a fucking podcast. You know what's important? Revolution. So if we want to talk about this shit, if we want to talk about the fact that people are made ignorant, if we want to talk about the fact that this shit needs to change, well, get up off our asses. Let's do it. Let's, me too, stop talking about this shit. Let's stop talking about it only. We can talk about it, but only if we're going to do something about that talk. Only if we're going to use that talk to fuel the people so that they themselves want to do something about that talk. Because talking doesn't change the fact that three point eight billion people suffer from abject poverty to the point that they have no housing, no health care, no social services, and no understanding, no clear idea where their food, their meals for themselves, for their children, for their family, for their loved ones will come from tonight. If we want to talk about this shit, if we want to have good ideas, if we want to sit here and pretend that, oh, I'm not ignorant, I know that the people's oppression comes from the ruling class, I know that they're suffering not because of their own ignorance, but because of an oppressive rule. Well, then what the fuck are we going to do about it? Because guess what? At the end of the day, the only thing that can change that is you and me. The only thing that will change that is you and me. Because the ruling class could not give a single fucking shit about you or me. Whether it's Donald Trump, whether it's Bernie Sanders, whether it's Josh Howley, whether it's 
Rashida Tlaib, whether it's Ilan Omar, whether it's whoever, whether it's Bolsonaro, whether it's Lula, right? Whether it's whomever. The only real revolutionary force is the proletariat. The only real revolutionary power is the organized, working, and oppressed people fighting for socialism, fighting for communism, fighting for revolution, and fighting for an overthrow of the ruling class structure, fighting for the end to bourgeois capitalist society. So let's go do it, folks. Let's go fucking do it. Let's stop talking about it, and let's go build socialism today. Have a lovely fucking day.